Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Big Ten Hoops Weekly Show. This is Steve, um, and we're also here with Brett. Before we get going with you today, a brief word from our sponsor. Thank you, Steve. Um, we are very excited to be partnered with Brewbags Coffee Company for Big Ten Hoops Weekly. Um, and we would like to just let you know that you can rediscover your morning ritual with Brewbags Coffee Company and their single-serving flavored cold brew pouches. Whether you're looking for an easy way to make great cold brew, to save time in your busy morning, or to have coffee on your way while you're on the road, the, the brew bags are so easy that you can brew them in your sleep, and you're so delicious that you'll you'll want to wake up. Uh, I can personally attest, uh, I really like the Burt's Roast and the Cocoa Pecan flavor. Um, they're really easy to make hot or cold, and uh, really, really delicious. This month, you can enjoy free shipping uh, to celebrate brew bags' launch, and you can use discount code LAUNCH10. That's L-A-U-N-C-H-1-0 to take 10% off your order. Uh, thanks again to Brewbags for sponsoring this podcast. Thank you, Brett. What a week it was this week in the Big Ten. You know, I think with each week we try to at least think we understand what this conference is going to look like this year. But I think with every week we we just get more confused. Uh, I think the perfect thing that sums up this week is the team with the second longest winning streak in the conference right now is Minnesota or tied for the second longest winning streak. So we'll have more on that, I think in a little bit, but anyway, uh, a lot of up and down for most of the teams in the conference this week. The one team that did not have much up and down were the Purdue Boilermakers. And last week, they think were the main topic of conversation on this podcast for the loss that they had at the hands of the Northwestern Wildcats. Uh, but this week they turned it around and followed up that loss with a thumping of Iowa on Monday. Um, and then another, what I'd call a solid non-conference win against um, Alabama on Saturday. So Brett, what do you make of Purdue this week? Have they flipped the script on Northwestern or um, was there anything different that you saw to this Purdue team um, in response to that loss? That's a really good question. Um, I mean, the obvious is that the offense really kept on rolling. Uh, they didn't score. They didn't average uh, or they averaged over one point, I believe, two, eight points per possession and, and or better in both of their games this week, which is extremely impressive. Even when you bring into account the fact that Alabama's defense is currently uh, just inside the top hundred and Iowa's defense is dear God. Um, we're going to talk about that later, but I think this was a really back to basics week for Purdue. Um, it was knowing their matchups and exploiting the hell out of them. You know, Iowa and Alabama both have no interior defensive presence. And we saw that, uh, you know, kind of reflected in the kind of in the super efficient games that Zach Eady had nine for 10 from the floor against Iowa and then uh, against Alabama. 12 for 20 from the floor, 35 points, 11 for 11 from the line. And we had mentioned that, you know, there there was kind of a lack of, of guys stepping up across the board um, and. Maybe that's still a little bit of the story with Al with the Alabama game. Um, you had Edie with 35, Braden Smith with 27 in a really nice game for him, uh, where he also had eight assists, uh, and no one else had more than seven points. Um, granted, no one else really shot that much, but I think you're seeing the fact that you know Purdue really needed to keep up with a, a very offensively talented Alabama team, but was able to exploit their matchups. Uh, and you saw the same thing where Iowa's ball pressure didn't even bother Purdue one one bit, and you know, they, they they only turned the ball over eight times um, and were, were really, really fundamentally solid. So I think you're still seeing a thir the, the third scorer not consistently emerge, but um, they were really able to kind of put put that 
lost to Northwestern behind them and just kind of come out on a mission to take care of business. And that's exactly what they did this week. And maybe just one quick question before we move on to the rest of the conference, um, especially after this Alabama game, there was a lot of chatter on social media just about the way that Purdue's officiated um, and kind of whether people think it it gives them an advantage. You, you know, you mentioned Edie 11 for 11 from the free throw line. I think there's a lot of chatter, I think, particularly after their their Tennessee game um, at the Maui Invitational earlier this year about, you know, their advantage at the free throw line and how they're officiated. Do you have any any opinion on that or, or anything to say? Another another good question. I think it's very interesting noting that Edie's already taken 116 free throws this year. That's kind of bananas. He's almost halfway to where he was last year. And it's one of those things, right? Like, I mean, you can go back to when when the NBA was a lot more post-dominant and and kind of how Shaq was officiated. And you can say, look, yeah, that guy goes to the to the free throw line a ton. But at the same time, you could argue that he should be going to the free throw line a lot more. I think Edie takes more contact than just about anybody with with room to still have more fouls called. So I think that it's it's kind of a double edged sword, right? They're not. I would not argue that they're winning games because of how they're officiated, but I think that it's especially the way where they really kind of try to force the ball inside against undermanned front lines. Um, it's just a natural consequence, I think, of, of that style of play that he ends up going to the line. Although, I mean, he does go to the free throw line a lot, but I think for the most part, it's it's pretty well deserved. Got it. Well, we'll we'll continue to watch that as conference play uh, sort of shakes out, but um, it was fun to joke tongue-in-cheek about Purdue being at the bottom of the conference, but that is no longer the case. Moving on now, so the only other team in the conference that I believe had a 2-0 week this week were the Minnesota Golden Gophers, and yeah, I think admittedly this is on on me. I think I jinxed them because I think last show I said that hopefully that would be the last time that we talked about Minnesota, um, and then they they go ahead and beat Nebraska this past week to get off to a good start in conference play. Um, and they follow that up with a fairly business-like win against Florida Gulf Coast on Saturday. So whether you, whether you shake that up one way or not, they are they they had a, a two-win week. I mean, you know, all of a sudden they're sitting there at, at seven and three. You know, I mean, what do we make of this Nebraska game? You know, are, is, is Minnesota actually going to be a a, a, a player that, you know, wins a few more games than people were thinking of, or is, is this just sort of a, a one game fluke? Really good question. I think a very interesting note is that both like there are almost the entire game against Nebraska and the game, entire game against Florida Gulf Coast were played without Dawson Garcia, who is uh, to the casual observer far and away their best player. So I think there's a couple interesting things. I think you look at Joshua Ola Joseph specifically, who really burst onto the scene during that Nebraska game, five offensive rebounds, five for seven or six, sorry, six for eight from the floor, 15 points and a couple assists and just kind of flying around. And guys like him are really like the, the, the kind of development is something we haven't seen out of a Ben Johnson coached team yet. And so he would be, you know, if he could really step up and make consistent plays, that would be huge for this team. And I, I think he followed it up with with another pretty strong game. Yeah, 17 points against uh, and, and four rebounds against Florida Gulf Coast. Um, again, Sands, Dawson Garcia. So I think the, the other interesting. So I think I think, you know, getting more more uh, production out of those young guys is, is huge because they were basically getting nothing outside of anybody from Dawson Garcia for for a minute there, especially when they played teams with a pulse. 
The flip side of that is Nebraska had one of the worst halves of basketball I think I've ever seen. They The first half ended, and I believe Nebraska was up by 15. And then they just forgot how to play offense. It was the dumbest thing I think I've ever seen, um, where at least in the first half, there was cutting and movement and, and you know guys running like a free-flowing offense. It just totally dried up in the second half. And I don't know what sort of halftime adjustments they made, but it was just stagnation, isolation play, missed shots, and they turned the ball over. 18 times for tw- for 26%. I mean, Minnesota turned the ball over 16 times for 23%, but I mean, I, if Nebraska really wanted to back up their early season performance, you know, this was not the game they wanted to have, especially on the heels of getting the doors blown off by Creighton. So I, I think it was a combination of Minnesota just kind of getting it together, but Nebraska just totally losing their heads, especially offensively and letting those turnovers turn into instant offense for the Gophers. So I would, I would say, very encouraging week for Minnesota, I think, especially all the crap we talked about them uh, for the last couple of weeks. Yeah, and it, it, again, as if we, you know, as, as if we thought we were going to learn anything from that game, um, Nebraska turns around, goes back home, and defeats Michigan State by seven on Sunday behind a, a strong game from Jawan Gary, who had. 20 points on 11 shots, you know, it was their leader and then another solid game from Tominaga, Tominaga. I mean, in this game, I think Nebraska looked, they looked fundamentally sound. They looked better in, they shot, shot 50% from the field, uh, made most of their free throws and made 10 threes as well. This game to me though, felt more like it was about Michigan state and not about Nebraska. So Michigan state this week, prior to this loss, they, they dropped a, uh, a game at home to Wisconsin earlier in the week. And we'll talk about Wisconsin in a second here, but all of a sudden you look up at Michigan state, they are four and five. And um, the problems that we saw in them in their first sort of two to three games of play aren't, aren't really going away. They, they had a, a better effort from three against from three point shot against the corn Huskers, but um, you know, the, the center position seems to be sort of a a glowing issue with them. It, it doesn't seem like they're getting the efficiency out of Walker and Haggard at the at the guard position that they were getting last year. And I mean, at this point, often 0-2 start in conference and struggling, you know, with, without a like major, major marquee-ish win. You know, they played a lot of tough teams out of conference, but... They've, they've struggled to really get that marquee win. I mean, I think it, at this point, Brett, I mean, is, is Michigan State even a tournament team? At at four and five? No, they most certainly are not. And I mean, even because we, as we've as we've mentioned, like stacking wins is the most important thing in college basketball for, for tournament purposes. And they're not even doing that. Granted, they've lost. I mean, the James Madison loss kind of looks worse in hindsight, but. This is this is where, you know, the Duke, the Arizona, the upcoming game against Baylor, um, you know, they, that's really going to start to cause some issues. But you got to beat Nebraska and you you should put up a better fight against Wisconsin at home um, if you're this Michigan State team in theory. But in practice, like you mentioned, their 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 depth at, at anything bigger than the three is is a huge issue now. I mean, Sissoko's taken a huge step back. You know, he didn't even attempt a shot against Nebraska. It's becoming increasingly, you know, apparent that Carson Cooper doesn't have it yet. And I don't really know where they go to. I'm kind of mystified that Xavier Booker didn't see the floor at any point tonight against Nebraska uh, as they were kind of looking for answers, especially at the center spot. But 
you know, AJ Haggard hasn't taken the leap. Jaden Akins hasn't taken the leap. Um, and so you're seeing Tyson Walker really kind of get more placed on him. And as a result, his efficiency is, is really failing him. Um, you know, we did get a good game out of Malik Hall tonight. He was really able to get to the line. He went to the line seven out of the nine times that Michigan state did. And they're not being super careless with the ball. They turn the ball over nine times, but none of the freshmen seem to be ready to kind of take on expanded minutes. And I think that's, a huge issue given that the, the more established guys are not performing up to the level that we, and I assume Tom Izzo expected so far this year. I, I, I couldn't agree more. So, you know, we'll, more on, more on Michigan state, I think, you know, to, to come as the, the calendar flips here, but um, as, as you mentioned, they've got another tough game against Baylor this week, so it does not get any easier Flipping the script now. So, you know, with respect to the Wisconsin Badgers, so that win that they had in East Lansing, it really was the AJ Store and Steve Crowell show, particularly from from three point land. And, um, you know, they sort of when the day ended on Tuesday, you know, I think a lot of the rhetoric around the conference was about how Wisconsin was one of the hottest teams in the conference and really looking like they are a, a contender at the top, if not at the top in that sort of second tier behind it really just behind Purdue. Um, they go out to Tucson as, as we talked about, you know, this is Arizona. Um, it's frequently tough for big 10 teams to go out there and win this time of year. Um, Arizona already defeated uh, another big 10 team in Michigan state. They'll get another opportunity against another one, which we'll talk about um, later, but really, you know, Wisconsin got, got blown out, you know, lost by 25, gave up 98 points. Arizona shot 58% from the field, 26 assists on 35 field goals, only seven turnovers. I mean, it was a clinic and they're, they're ranked number one for a reason. All that being said, Brett, I don't know. I mean, if you're a Wisconsin fan, I don't like, I think you just kind of throw that one away. Um, you know, because I don't know the expectation was, you know, the, the expectation was to go out there and at least try to compete, but um, they got beat by a team that's probably a national title contender and, and really not in the same weight class as Wisconsin. Yeah. I, I mean, the, the moral I took from that game is that Arizona is the best team in the country, full stop. I mean, their their size and athleticism gave Wisconsin so much trouble in comparison to games, even against Marquette, who's obviously just a team that's built differently than than Arizona is. Um, you know, Wisconsin, again, and especially against Marquette and Michigan State, Wisconsin was able to really crash the offensive glass and kind of generate second chance points. Um, that was not the case against against Arizona. They the size of of guys like Ballo um, and you know Keyshawn Johnson really really gave Wisconsin a lot of trouble. I mean Wisconsin definitely could have been better on the defensive end. I think they they kept kind of going under screens, especially when it just was apparent that Arizona was not going to miss many, if any, even contested looks. But I think I think besides that, you you look at it and you say, all right, like we have work to do if we want to you know be a second weekend team, kind of things like that. But you also look at the past three games where it was kind of circled on their schedule as Marquette at Michigan state before we kind of knew what Michigan state was like. It's always tough to win at Breslin uh, and going out to, you know, one of the best teams in the country. And for them to at least have those two wins in their pocket is, is encouraging. Um, I don't, you know, I think looking at a guy like John Blackwell coming on, scoring 17 points, uh, grabbing seven rebounds is, is definitely encouraging for his development, but it was, it Wisconsin was, was they were able to hold, kind of even for like the first 12 minutes and then the doors just got blown off and Arizona was really able to kick it into transition and get running and it, there was no way for Wisconsin to keep up there yeah I think nonetheless good good for that team to get that experience out there I think a, a veteran group can handle a game like that um 
And I think in, in some ways it's easier to turn the page after a blowout like that than it is losing a tough post game there. We'll see how they respond soon. Moving on to a couple of other teams, a couple of other up and down um, team performances over the past week. So let's talk about Illinois. So they hang 98 on FAU. You know, they got 33 points each from um, Domosk and Terrence Shannon. A, a little bit of a coming out party for D- Domosk, although we, we, we've already hinted that he's been playing really, really well. You know, they almost shot 62% from the field. I feel like we just typically do not see that type of um, efficiency out of them. Um, it did that despite 14 turnovers and with only five offensive rebounds. So, I mean, they were just super, super efficient there. Um, I think it's funny because this FAU team, jury's out, right? I mean, they've they've earned their high ranking just based on their their final four appearance last year. Um, I I think it's fair to say no one, you know, just given the conference theory and everything, no one actually knows what this win will truly mean come tournament time. But nonetheless, this was a a high-profile game where they had to come out swinging. They were down at half and uh, made some shots down the stretch. Should, should be really encouraging if you're an Illinois fan, you know that they at least be playing, at least seem to be playing with some level of consistency. They flip around and go on the road to Knoxville in a true game against a, a, a you know, a, a really tough Tennessee team, um, and they they actually hung in there pretty well for the first call. It, I don't know, I want to say like 27 to 30 minutes, and then Tennessee sort of punched back and and ran away and hid. I think overall, if you're an Illinois fan, you'll you'll take the split this week. I, really good signs that you can take away from the FAU game, but I think down the stretch at Tennessee, it was a lot of the the same old issues with just dumb turnovers, um, poor shot making. But I, I actually think you've got to be encouraged um, with how tough they hung there. All else equal. Yeah, I, I think that's a really good way to put it. And I, I would uh, like to shout out the listener who asked us if we were ready to kind of take back some of our our questions about Illinois' offense after the FAU game, specifically citing Domask's 33 points. So we, we really do appreciate you uh, writing in um, and anyone else. And we did just figure out that you can submit comments through Spotify. So uh, that's cool if you want to do that. Thanks to the person who submitted that. I think it's kind of a mixed bag, right? Like, I mean, hanging hanging 98 points is is impressive kind of regardless of who you play, especially, you know, the team that basically brought back an entire Final Four team. And I think that was where we saw the glimpse of what, you know, we, we had kind of talked about this, the kind of potential for this team and Domask was, was that guy. And he, you know, 13 of 15 from two, two of six from three, uh, Shannon did his thing where he just got around the rim into the line a lot, a little quieter game for, for a lot of other guys like, like Hawkins and, and Gary air. Um, and Luke Goody still has, has, you know, kind of been up and down, but, and even looking at this offensive performance against Tennessee, strictly like looking at that scoring over a point per possession against Tennessee is, is good. I mean, they're, the fifth best defense in the country for a reason. They've held, you know, similar teams to to worse offensive showings. Um, but I think it's that consistently it's the consistency issue from guys that are not Terrence Shannon. You know, we had another 22 point game from Shannon where he got to the to the free throw line 11 times. But Domask followed up that 33 point game with six points on 11 shots. And, you know, that's, it's college basketball. That stuff happens. But Gary Air really kind of stepped up for really the first time all year. Knocked in three threes um, and really kind of showed some of that promise and that experience in a in a really tough road environment. So, you know, maybe we were a little harsh on Illinois offensively, but 
you know, outside of Shannon, I think there just needs to be someone kind of stepping up to be that consistent second guy. if We want to see this Illinois team reach their ceiling, but this was definitely a good week of a very solid, very solid offensive performance against, against very good competition. So I think there's a lot to take from, from this and Illinois definitely put themselves in a good spot going forward. Another team with an up and down week last week was, was the Indiana Hoosiers. Uh, They go to Ann Arbor and get, um, what what I call a, a solid road win in a close kind of tightly fought game. Khalil Ware looks really really good. Um, he had another solid game, but uh, it was more the I think the depth of Indiana more than anything. I think they had they had like eight guys or something that scored six points or more in that game. So I think you can see just the sort of cultural, you know, like culturally that team's coming together in order to get that win there. They also did a good job on Doug McDaniel, who only shot three or fourteen from the field that game. So. They go out and steal one there, but then in in the in their holiday hoops giving matchup against Auburn, they get the the doors blown off of them. Um, I don't really know what the national narrative is on on Auburn. They have a few good wins. They also have a loss to App State on their resume. If I were an Indiana fan, I think I would have hoped for a little bit better of an effort in this one. Um, and you know the, the box score actually doesn't look too terrible, but. Um, it looks like Auburn was, you know, essentially able to do whatever they want. They only turned the ball over three times. And, um, you know, they also look like they're sort of a, a, a pretty deep team, too. So they've got a lot of bodies that seemed like they overwhelmed um, IU at, at times during that game. But I think, Brett, what's your what's your take on Indiana? They seem to be coming together. And then this game against Auburn on Saturday seems like a little bit of a step back. I think it's pretty much the same narrative. This team needs Xavier Johnson back real, real, real bad. I don't think, I mean, you know, I think Gabe Cups is going to be pretty good. I don't think he's ready yet. And I, I've never been a fan of Trey Galloway's game really. And we saw, this is kind of the pendulum swinging back on Mbako after a couple solid games, two of eight from the field, seven of which were threes, um, you know, ended with 10 points, but I think the very interesting thing is that this was kind of the first game where where offensively uh, was pretty stymied. And we we talked about Johnny Broom uh, for Auburn being kind of a guy that put that has the the size and, and length and athleticism to to kind of bother where. And we we definitely saw that as where finished also two for eight from the field. So I think I think, you know, you're when you're looking at teams with more dominant, sizable bigs, uh, this they could really muck things up as as Indiana tries to run its offense through where, especially without. Uh, Xavier Johnson in the fold. I will say I've I've been very impressed by Malik Renew, especially in the post. Uh, so they've kind of got a two. They can run a two big offense, and I they don't they don't have the shooters, but you know they can they can really work that inside game um, when they have the the advantage. But I think another point I really want to hit on is uh, 11 offensive rebounds for Auburn. So by generating extra possessions, they were really able to kind of put their mark on this game. That's they rebounded 29% of their own misses. That's insane when you have guys like Renew and Ware who are who are pretty renowned rebounders. So I think this this Indiana team still just doesn't really have the offensive firepower to keep up. I mean, I guess especially if they're giving up 104 points. I would have expected them to not give up 100 points to an Auburn team whose offense is pretty up and down, but if if they 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 really need Xavier Johnson back if they're going to really make an impact this year is is my main takeaway. Got it. Um, all right. And we'll finish up our recap here with just a, a couple of other quick hitters to note. So I think first first thing um, that we mentioned, Indiana going into Ann Arbor and getting a win for, from the Wolverines. So Michigan turned around and went to Iowa City and beat the Hawkeyes um, pretty handedly. They, they scored 90 and 
um, on the road there. And and I I think we talked about Iowa's shortcomings on the defensive end of the ball, but um, I think, you know, with Michigan and their season sort of hanging in the balance, they get back to 500 and pick up a quality, I don't know, I don't know how to call it quality road win, but they, they get the road win nonetheless. Uh, It was a tough week for Iowa this week with losses to Purdue. They also lost, um, the Cyhawk game to Iowa State on Thursday, and then they, they go around and lose to Michigan, too. So that's a, a three-loss week. I know there, there were some signs for optimism, I think, out of Iowa City at the beginning of the year, but it appears they are headed for the lower third of the, the conference with the way things are going there. Also wanted to talk about Rutgers. So um, they had two important non-conference games this week. They went one and one in those games. Um, they lost in Winston-Salem to Wake Forest, but then were able to grind out a win in the battle for New Jersey against Seton Hall. Um, was a breakout. Was a little bit of a breakout game for Noah Fernandez against Seton Hall. He scored 19 points. They held Seton Hall to three of 20 from the three-point line and imposed their will defensively. So, um, good sign that they were able to get the the split there, uh, which would just be again if we've talked about ad nauseum there. Um, I feel like feels like they're sort of teetering as a program right now, especially with the the disappointment last year and not making the tournament. So important for them to to go one on one and one at the very least this week. And then finally, as um, either expected or not expected, we we had some wackiness um, at the Bryce Jordan Center on Saturday, where Penn State was able to get a victory against Ohio State. We've talked about how Ohio State's they overachieved at least in this early you know through sort of half halfway to two-thirds of the way through the non-conference season. Um, a little bit of a setback here, losing to Penn State. We also know that Penn State's played a lot of tough games um, that they have come out on the wrong end. of. So, so good to see Mike Rhodes at least getting some momentum there. Speaking of kind of losing close games, they lost to Maryland earlier in the week in overtime. Like Penn State, Maryland has had – it's been a struggle for them um, in this – early part of the season as well. So them able to get um, their first conference win there, I, I think was good, was good. You know, they, they got good performances from Jameer Young and Julian Reese in that game, but it continues to perplex everyone where Dunta Scott has disappeared to this year. Um, so we'll hope that he gets back on track so that Maryland has a, has a puncher's chance in the conference this year, because they're going to need him to perform well if they do. Before we get to the recap, any comments on those last couple of games, Brett? I we're I think I think you know maybe a little premature, but I think we can give ourselves a pretty solid pat on the back for kind of accurately predicting everything that was going to go wrong with Iowa's season so far. Man, it's ugly. It's real bad, and they don't even. I mean, I, the closest they lost the game by ten to Michigan today, but it wasn't even remotely that close. And I mean, they got blown out by Purdue. Um, and they just they have usually you've been able as as Iowa you've been able to at least turn games into high scoring affairs where like event you can outlast a lot of teams. They are not doing that. I mean, sure. They scored 80 points against Michigan, but 68 against Purdue 65 against uh, Iowa state. I mean, they're just, you know, Ben Kripke their most consistent offensive player. Um, and I think Owen Freeman's going to end up being, being pretty solid, but he's still really young. And I just, none of their guys are, are really hitting. They're hitting, they're 153rd in the conference from th- or in the country from three at just a hair over 33%. And, when your defense is 162nd in the country uh, per Ken Palm, that's that's not going to get things done. So I, I've been surprised and also not surprised. I think, you know, Fran McCaffrey got tossed today uh, during the Michigan game and, and 
you know, if he wants to keep his team, his really young team on track, he he can't really be doing that anymore. But yeah, I think I think definitely good for Rutgers to to turn around their week and uh, really kind of get going uh, uh, in the battle for New Jersey. Um, and I yeah, Ohio State just totally lost their heads on the road at, at Penn State in a game that, despite being pretty full, was still deathly quiet. So the Bryce Jordan Center continues to live up to its name. All right, and then finally, we will give you the the, the quick preview for what's to come this week. Believe it or not. There are a few games throughout the week that may or may not be worth your time, depending on which team you chair for. But the big games in the conference actually don't start until next Saturday. So the first game that we'll call out is is Georgia Tech. Uh, we'll take on Penn State at the at Madison Square Garden on um, Saturday at 11. We talked about Penn State trying to build momentum in the Mike Rhodes era. That will be a good gut check for them to see whether they can get you know, a, a non-conference win at sort of equal competition to theirs. One of the bigger games of the day takes place at Assembly Hall in Bloomington, where number two ranked Kansas heads to IU. Um, you know, we, we just saw the Hoosiers, you know, get the doors blown off of them by Auburn. Um, it doesn't get any easier when when Kansas comes to town. You know, really looking forward to the post matchup there with with Hunter Dickinson going against Khalil Ware, but you know the firepower at the guard position, I, I think, is going to be tough for Indiana to hang with. So we'll see if home court matters, and we're, we'll see if you know um, their the signs that they've shown of strong defense can sort of slow down the the Jayhawks. Also, shortly after that game, we've got Baylor heading to Little Caesars Arena in Detroit to take on the Michigan State Spartans. I mean, we've we've been beating the drum on this all all podcast at, at this point this year, but uh, Michigan state needs to take advantage of one of these opportunities to have a quality non-conference win. This is really their last shot. Um, and so we'll see um, what Michigan state can do there. As a reminder, they are four and five. If they drop to, uh, they drop to four and six, they're going to, they're going to struggle just to get over 500 once conference play heats up. So, I mean, it's been a drastic shift in the expectations in East Lansing, but uh, they have to try to find a way to f- fight and 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 sling together a, a win here because uh, if not, they're going to run out of opportunities quickly and they're really, really going to have to be outstanding the rest of conference play really just to make the tournament. Uh, for the rest of the games, Brett, I'll hand it back to you. Well, I thank you, Steve. So the heading into the back half of – Saturday. We're going to start with UCLA, Ohio State, which for some reason is being played at State Farm Arena in Atlanta, Georgia, famously where both UCLA and Ohio State are located. I think this is a really interesting matchup. Obviously, UCLA kind of has a lot of turnover, um, but the 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 really the guy to watch there is is their big guy, Adem Bona. So I think he's going to see a healthy dose of both Key and Okpara. Um, I think you know Okpara has obviously got the the size and the athleticism. So I think that's going to be a really fun battle to watch bonus bonus, a hell of a player. Um, and I'm, I'm really excited to see that. And I think, you know, we've seen Scotty Middleton is someone who had, we hadn't really talked about that much, but he's kind of been playing his way up draft boards. If, if things are to be believed and he's one of four Buckeyes that play, you know, at least 15 minutes a game that are shooting over 40% from three, uh, in addition to Thornton, Gale and battle. So I think that Ohio State's really going to try and turn this game inside out and uh, really, you know, use utilize Key and Okpara to kind of make make the right passes, make the right reads and, and work their guys open so that they can get some some good quality three point looks. So I think if they're able to 
you know, continue shooting the ball effectively. They're, you know, ninth in the country at threes and UCLA will UCLA won't have the firepower to keep up. Um, so I'm interested to see who kind of controls that the speed of that game. Northwestern plays DePaul. Uh, DePaul just beat Louisville. So, you know, anything could happen, really. Um, I, I think, again, this is this is a a game where Northwestern just has knows they have to come in, take care of business. They, they, you know, they followed up the, the huge win against Purdue with just a shellacking of uh, Detroit. So they know they're really, uh, you know, they, they're focused on the, on the right things. So it's just kind of taking care of business against a, a vastly inferior team. And finally wanted to end with probably the game of the season so far uh, in theory, um, Arizona and Purdue. Um, we, you know, I just spent a while talking about how good, Arizona is, and you know from the last like two years of us talking that uh, Purdue is really good. Uh, this game is at Gainbridge Fieldhouse, so it will be a home-ish game for Purdue. Um, but Arizona fans, I assume, will travel very well. You know, it's it's interesting, and and feel free to chime in here, Steve. But um, I think I mean the battle of the bigs is going to be phenomenal. Edie and Balo are are two of the country's best bigs. Balo uh, is is really really athletic, really strong. Um, and is is quite an adept passer. So, I'll, you know, he's going to kind of be trying to keep Purdue's defense on on their toes and, and they won't be able to kind of just take advantage of, of you know, not as big, big guys in the post the way they were able to do Wisconsin. Obviously, Edie is uh, a lot bigger and stronger than Steve Crowell and Nolan Winter. But where I really see issues for for Purdue rising is kind of what we've been talking about, where it's like Caleb Love is a crazy athletic you know guard who still only 30 percent from the three and you can kind of turn him into a chucker. But, you know, they've got guys that can hit shots and they're all really athletic. And I think guys like Pella Larson and, and Love are really going to be able to kind of take advantage of Purdue's lack of size on the defensive end. You know, Lawyer Jones and Smith are really going to have their work cut out for them on the defensive end. But they're also really going to need to make sure uh, that they keep the turnovers down um, because Arizona likes to run. And if if, you know, Braden Smith and Lawyer are turning over the ball, then then it could be game over for for Purdue pretty early. Yeah, uh, that 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 should be a fun one there. I think you know Purdue's Purdue's held their own so far this year against strong national competition, and even in non-March strong national competition over the last few years in the Painter era, they've held their own. So that'll be a really fun game. Um, we want to thank everyone for tuning in for this week's episode. Um, again, thank you all for um, your continued dedication to. Big Ten basketball, and we will be with you again um, next week. Things will quiet down here as we get into the holiday break, but um, regular conference play is right around the corner once the calendar flips to January. Thanks again, everyone.